Welcome to the Nobody Told Me That podcast. My name is Teresa Duncan, and my goal is to share information that you probably weren't thinking about. I love preparing my friends for situations that may come completely out of the blue. I also want to share with you many of the tidbits I picked up over the years. If you absolutely have to tune out before the end of the show, make sure you check out the show notes for more details and information on today's topic. And thank you so much for making me a part of your day. another episode of Nobody Told Me That, and I have a repeat guest on here. I have Miss Susan Gunn. Susan, how are you? Oh, man, I am awesome. Susan, you are also a member of the Dental Podcast Network. You have a podcast that is now featured on the network. It's been around for a little bit, but now you've moved over onto the coolest network. Can you tell people what your uh, podcast is? Money in, money out. And I uh, talk about financial things in dental practices, but I try not to kind of what we're doing today, try to bring in outside things because sometimes I feel like we focus too much on dentistry instead of looking outside and what we can learn from other businesses and how they apply. And so I try to encompass a lot of different things. So today I said, what are we talking about? And she said, oh, let's talk about this bakery thing. And I was like, bakery, like what about, how's that going to tie in with dentistry? And then when she pointed it out, I was like, "Ooh, you do need to talk bakery thing. So dear listeners, you're going to hear us talk about sweets and fruit cakes and cupcakes and don't tune out because this absolutely does tie back into and give us lessons actually about how we can run our practice. So my mouth is already watering, Susan, because fruit cake <laughs> is the only real cake that can make me go off my diet. I know people are anti fruit cake. Some of them are. But I am a fruit Now cake I know what I'm getting freak. you for Christmas. Oh my goodness. There's just something about it. Okay. So when I saw that this was the, one of the premier fruitcake makers, I was like, Ooh, I got to see what happened. So tell us about the bakery that lost a lot of money. Let me tell you first that we're going to talk about embezzlement in general terms in kind of broad strokes. And I just kind of did yesterday, a top of the news embezzlement Google search to see what was hitting that day, just one day on embezzlement news. And there was an office manager for technology consultants that stole 1.4 million over nine years, 419 checks that were unauthorized and drawn on the business account. She forged the signatures. There was an insurance agent that was accused of taking greater than $375,000 of client money and did identity theft for those clients. There was an executive director of a homeless coalition suspected of embezzling $14,000 in three months, withdrawing cash with the debit card. Okay, seriously? The homeless coalition? I know. Well, and honestly, $14,000 is rookie numbers compared to the the million dollar over nine years. They probably didn't have a whole lot to begin with to steal, but then there was an international investment bank. The Goldman Sachs agreed to pay... $2.9 $2.9 billion and admit wrongdoing for its involvement in the plundering of an economic development fund oh, meant to, to benefit Malaysia. It's just interesting. All of these different scandals, you know, other headlines included city treasurers, famous spouses who committed embezzlement, church leaders, PTA president, government officials, booster club president, bank vice president, and a professional hockey team office manager. 
seriously. Wow. So just kind of let you know, embezzlement is not limited to dentistry. Well, and, and when you say one point, whatever it was, million over nine years, you know, if your jaw dropped, don't think about it this way. Our offices make similar, if not more numbers over nine years. It's conceivable that you could lose that and oh. maybe just think you had some bad years. It is definitely uh, something that we need to not put in the category of that's not going to happen to us because those are the ones that have it happen to them, right? Well, and that's usually what I hear. I just didn't think it happened to me. I know it happens, but I didn't think it happened to me. Well, that was my $1.1 million case, and it was over 10 years. And just to let you know, embezzlement's not limited to the United States. Sometimes we only think about ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. There were headlines for the UK, Chile, Italy, Canada, Germany, France, Angola. You know, so I just started thinking about it. I said, embezzlement is, is a disease. It's as far spread as the coronavirus. It's global. Now, if we Absolutely. find a vaccine, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Well, it's been around for a long time through the ages, right? Uh, even back in biblical times, there was some theft going on. Oh, yeah, had to be was. a reason for it to go into, you know, our, our ethics guidelines that were handed <laughs> down to us from the seniors or the elders. Let's look at the sweet, sweet case of this bakery. And the reason I thought about this was because the holiday season is upon us. Mm -hmm. And the one consistent item purchased in our family for so many years and mailed to lucky recipient relatives was a Collins Street Bakery fruitcake. Mm. It was amazing. Now, I'll tell you, I'm not, not as much of a fan of the fruitcakes because they have raisins. And I, I really, 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 really don't like raisins. Okay, I'm getting hungry now. So where is the Collins... <laughs> Where is this bakery located? You're going to be horrible. Uh, uh, it's in Corsicana, Texas. It started in 1896, and but has been owned by the McNuck family since 1946. And the embezzlement just rocked Corsicana. Now, I'll tell you something. A little, I kind of have a little bit of connection because I went to Navarra College mm -hmm. uh, my first year out of high school. And the guy that uh, did the uh, embezzlement also went to Navarra College. So it could have been there at the same time. Don't know. Really? I'll tell you about another little connection down kind of towards the end. But this, this story has fascinated me since it's come out. In fact, did you know that there's a movie that's being filmed now? Will Ferrell is playing the lead of Sandy Jenkins. And so I could see that. And, and I will put a link in the show notes uh, to the article that Susan had sent me to kind of do the pregame. I could see Will Farrow playing this. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, and I can't remember who's going to pay his wife. It'll come to me. Look it up while I'm talking. Sandy Jenkins is the one that he started working as a payroll specialist. And then he advanced to a corporate controller. And he worked there from February 1998 through June 21st, 2013. So he was there 15 years. Long-term employee. Yeah, and he didn't start stealing when he started working there. When he started working, his salary was about 25000 And when he became controller, his annual salary was about 50000 So interestingly enough, considering our pre-recorded conversation, by all accounts, he was an extreme introvert who cared deeply about what others thought about him and his status in the world. That was a one theme that seemed to run through all the articles that I read. It sounds like it came from his mother as well, kind of the taste of the high life. 
Yeah, his dad worked well and had a good job, and I think that's that's what it sounded like, too. So let me tell you, Corsicana is an oil-rich town. I don't know if you've ever visited one of those. Mm-mm. Yeah, it's different. It has a community college. And like I said, I lived there for a very brief six months after high school. To say I actually, it was the 70s, so I'll just say that. To say mm-hmm. I actually attended Navarro might be a stretch. <laughs> I did live there. In fact, it's there. It's possible we were there at the same time. But the town is a definite contrast between the haves and the have-nots. Okay. There's old money in Corsicana with deep pockets, mostly oil, a lot of cattle, now some gas, but a lot of old money, Southern style. Old money equals old families, families that have lived there for generations. Those types of generations are not very accepting of new blood because they all just kind of hang together. It's a very different world of Southern living. And so if you're in the South, you know what you're going, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. (laughs) I know that. I mean, it's very small town, too. Everybody was in everybody's business. Everybody knew everybody's business. They were very both. uh, Sandy and his wife, Kay, were very both involved in their church. He was a deacon, which is interesting. He was a deacon, and then they quit going to church when they got more money. (laughs) Oh, isn't that funny? Yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. And that's about the time that he needed Jesus the most. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) He was not saying, Jesus, take the wheel. (laughs) There was nothing about that at all. So why did he start stealing? Well, entitlement. You know, he... Explain that a little bit more, entitlement, when you're a long-term employee or even a short-term employee. What do you mean by that? A lot of times, these employees that steal, they embezzle the funds, see what everybody else at the top is making and believe they should be making that same amount. And they rationalize it by saying things like, but I work so hard. That's I've been doing exactly this for what a I was long about time. saying just took okay. the words out of my mouth. He was working really hard, long hours. So why should he not be paid as much as the executive? After all, he wanted nice, expensive things too. So yeah. And he started by taking money from the petty cash. How many times have we heard that? Yeah, absolutely. I hear that a lot. And and in fact, there are definitely dentists out there who don't even keep petty cash or even take cash anymore because they've been burned before. So yeah, I hear it. So when no one asked about the missing money, guess what? He moved on. He deepened his pockets a lot more quickly with fraudulent checks. Let me tell you how he did that. Mm -hmm. He would create a check for a personal payment, like he had a Capital One card. And so he would create a Capital One payment in the accounting software and then he would print it and then he would void it in the software as if he destroyed the check right interesting but then he would mail that check to his capital one credit card so it would be paid but then he would create in the accounting software another payment for the same amount to a valid vendor using the check number of the voided check that was sent but he never mailed that check and so when it hit the bank, it looked like it was that check that hit the bank. Maybe like paying for for goods that they didn't really order, but because it was a vendor that they would recognize the name, they wouldn't question it. Right. Okay. So like the a $40,000 $40, check going to Capital One then became a $40,000 check going to the Navarro Pecan Company. 
which mm. is where they buy their pecans. I know that because I live in a pecan orchard. We used to sell pecans to the Navarro, uh, Navarro, Navarro. God, I couldn't even say it right. Navarro, <laughs> Navarro. I don't know where Navarro came from, but Navarro does does buy pecans. Anyways, according to the court documents, it began in December 2004. Get a load of this. And over eight years, he wrote 888 checks that totaled $16.6 million. Say that again. 800 and how many checks? 888 checks that totaled $16,766,645.70. I mean, just round up at that point, right? Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's a lot of transactions that just flew under a radar. That's amazing. Well, but every time he'd do something, he'd wait and see if somebody noticed. Well, then after after nobody noticed, he just kept doing it. That's why he got 888 checks. If you have $16 million that you've stolen, I mean, this is a company that makes really good money then. I mean, what is that a big part of their revenue or is it a drop in the bucket of their revenue? Well, remember, this is an international company. One of the reasons that they can, they use, what was I reading? Something about the cakes themselves, the fruit cakes themselves have a natural preservative in it. I mean, and that's kind of been the joke that fruit cakes just never go bad. And so. Thank God. Thank oh God. my God. <laughs> I wish the listeners could see your face. Anyways, you know, it's just amazing. The revenues, I don't really know. I should have looked that up to see what their total revenue is. But well, I'm just thinking because that's a lot of money. Like if $16 million were taken from even a, just a group dental practice, oh, yeah. I don't think people would be like, like that would be caught right away. So this slow drip. Yeah, towards the end, Bob McNutt, who's the president and the CEO, was wondering, you know, what was happening. But remember, it was family owned. And so, mm -hmm. and Bob McNutt trusted Sandy Jenkins. And he was trusted by the guy that Sandy reported to, Scott. And so all, I mean, trust, I say that all the time when I speak on embezzlement. If they weren't trusted, they wouldn't be able to steal quite as cleanly. Right. But listen to this. In the year after writing his first fraudulent check, one year after writing that first fraudulent check. And remember, so he waited a little time after he wrote that first one. But mm -hmm. in the year after, he took 43 private flights at a cost of $500,000. And subsequent years did the same. And he said this was, I guess, his brother's jet. Is that that, if I remember correctly, that was his brother's jet? His cousin's, oh, his cousin's jet. jet. But in reality, he was just chartering it whenever he wanted to. Yeah, I think that's kind of how they nailed his wife, Kay, because Kay heard him say that it was a cousin that had loaned him the jack and loaned him the cars. That was another thing that he said about she knew he didn't have a cousin that did that. So here's his lavish lifestyle, right? Somebody should have gotten heads up on this. <laughs> 223 trips on private jets to lavish locations in total. 38 vehicles over 15 years. That 38? 38. Including Lexus, Mercedes, Bentley. He had a Bentley and a Porsche. They said he purchased a new auto every time he needed an oil change. Listen, where are you driving 
that you need this many cars. Like if you're not even, if you live in a small town, oh, no, where no. are you driving? Because I'll tell you, because he drove from Corsicana to North Park, which is in Dallas, uh, to shop at Neiman's. Uh, and that's about an hour. Oh, so I understand. Yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> he spent $11 million on a black American Express card loan, approximately $98,000 a month. And, you know, I said about Neiman's, he spent $1.2 million at Neiman's in Dallas. Well, they had nicknames for him. Their personal shopper had nicknames for they him. They did. He was, he was Fruitcake, and she was Cupcake? Cupcake. Cupcake. <laughs> yeah. Cupcake. Yeah, they had personal shoppers. Wow. They bought a $40,000 mattress. Oh, horsehair. I read that. I've never even heard of that. Had you heard of that? I was going to say, is this a Texas thing? And when I read that, I said, I got to ask Susan what this crazy thing is. What is a horsehair mattress? I have never heard of it before. I'm thinking horsehair. It's got to come with horse flies. It's got to, you know what I mean? Like I was just thinking, who would want to sleep on a horsehair mattress? So now I have to Google. I did read about it because I would be sneezing the entire time I'd be trying to sleep. And they do whatever it does to take the allergens out of it, which I don't know how they do it, but that just is bizarre to me. They had 532 luxury items, 41 bracelets, 15 pairs of cufflinks, 21 pairs of earrings, 16 furs, 61 handbags, 45 necklaces, nine sets of pearls. I don't even have one set of pearls. 55 rings, 98 watches. He was kind of a watch collector. He had 98 watches that valued $58,000. I was going to say they're probably not like Timex's either. Oh, no. No, they were Rolexes. In fact, he got, he was invited to tour the plant in Switzerland. So when you're a loyal consumer, that's what happens. Oh, yeah. And, and I'll tell you, it's a great marketing tour. Can I share something with you about my husband and how what kind of consumer he is? So he loves Chick-fil-A and he uses their app so much. Did you know that with certain Chick-fil-A members, when you use it so much, they actually will say, come down to the factory and we'll give you a tour of the factory. And I was like, wow, you eat way too much Chick-fil-A. Wow, you're kidding. <laughs> I mean, I don't think they, I don't think they fly you down or anything, but if you're in the area and you're this level, you know, whatever on the app, they will give you a tour of the Chick-fil-A factory. And I'm I just use like, the app. I've never been invited to take a tour. Well, I don't, you must not eat as much as we do. Cause you know, and we did go through a period where pretty much I was like, again, again, again. So I, <laughs> My man has goals. Let's just say that. So go ahead. (laughs) Go ahead. They also exquisitely remodeled their home. And then they lavishly entertained. And one of the things that they talked about a lot was how much they wanted to belong to book clubs and supper dinner clubs and Mm -hmm. things that the deep pockets belong to. Um, And so he was able to join them. He also had a $7,200 cell phone. I didn't even know they made a $7,200 cell phone. Is it pure gold? Is it crusted with diamonds? Like, so bizarre. Who makes that? Well, you know, I know that they do have certain iPhones that were bejeweled and stuff that some celebrities hadn't, but I didn't know that that was like a a thing thing. I thought it was like a novelty. I bet it was in the uh, Neiman's catalog one Christmas. Uh, I'm pretty sure I bet that happened. I don't know. (laughs) Five hundred and eighty thousand seven hundred fifty-four dollars and ninety cents in cash was recovered, plus a wine collection valued at fifty thousand. 
and a Steinway electric piano, electronic piano, $58,000. Steinways are nice. That's like, that's the top of the line as far as pianos, pianos go. That's a lot of stuff. I mean, you know, I'd like to say something else, but that's a lot of stuff. The wine collection is funny because I read in the article that you sent me that they grew tired of the house wine at the country club. And so they started bringing their own wine. Yeah. Isn't that funny? And to show it off too. He was very braggy. The house didn't even look like it was, you know, I was thinking like a Dallas style house. Like, I mean, Dallas, the the show Dallas. It was a historical home. Yeah, but it just didn't look like it would house everything it housed. But I don't know. I don't know what old money looks like. I don't know what new money looks like, but you know. <laughs> they also had a house in Santa Fe. Ah, okay. So they entertained in Santa Fe a lot. Some of that stuff should have go- could have gone there. Do you know that when, when after he was arrested, which I'll talk about in a little bit, but after he was arrested, they actually had an estate sale mm. and people were lined up down the block. I'm pretty sure maybe maybe to buy something, but more than that, they just wanted to see all the crap that he had. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I would have stood in line. I actually would have stand in line too. Holy cow. So So a lot of furs, furs in Texas. Well, and that's, you know, the thing is, how did he justify all of this with his colleagues and his friends? I mean, that's, I mean, it's, he told people that he inherited money and then he told others that the, his cousin loaned him the cars and the plane. But seriously? Well, if you inherit that kind of money, why are you working as a $50,000 right. employee? Right. But uh, he has to work as one because that's where the money is coming from. Oh, yeah. I am simply, th- like, when I was reading all of this, I was like, you've, you've got to be kidding. But I pulled up the horsehair mattress. <laughs> and oh, I have to tell mattress. you, yeah, no, I have to tell you. We use genuine horsetail hair in our beds. I'm reading this off of a off of a website. It says a purely natural and extremely durable product. It's first washed in boiling water and then rinsed and thoroughly before being spun and disinfected and then heated and then blah, blah, blah. And the result is a completely clean and springy natural material. The processed horsehair is stored before being separated for use. When we untangle the long strands, the horsehair is beautifully crinkled and has increased in volume many times over. And there are different types of horsehair. So I did not even know this was a thing, but apparently there is a horsehair industry. Today we learned. That just does not even sound good to me. I would I would rather eat fruitcake with raisins. How dare you? <laughs> I am all good. They were living very comfortably, as we can see. Sometimes they spent more money than the owner uh, of Collins Street Bakery. I mean, that's what's weird. I mean, sometimes he would out-donate money to a cause, I think, just to show up Bob. Now, that has to be towards the end, don't you think? Well, oh, yeah. He got to where he really wasn't even paranoid about being found out. He was perfectly at ease in his newfound wealth. He'd gotten away with it. He'd gotten oh, away yeah. with it for so long. And so let me go back to that first year, though, because I want to tie this in to dentistry and how this, the fact that we need to pay attention to things around us. And you say this a lot in the classes, you know, one time is not going to tell the story, but you got to look for things like that. And if I'm trying to steal from you, Susan, I'm going to do it once and then just wait a little bit to see if I get busted. You know, that's, that's the nature yeah. of when you do something wrong. So it does start out like that. And if you catch it in the beginning, don't you think that discourages $16 million worth of theft later? 
Yeah, in fact, when the owners started wondering why the bakery wasn't making more money, they audited payroll, but they didn't find anything. And they did that for several years. It just wasn't one time because they were still losing money. Then they only thought about payroll? No, they just were trying to find out where it was. Remember, during those years, the economy took a hit. And so everybody seemed to blame the economy for a short period of time during all of this. But they audited the payroll. They didn't find anything. And Sandy timed his checks so that when the expenses would be normally more high, so they wouldn't show up in any of the analysis. And so he almost got caught one time. But because he was the one that said he'd look into it, he explained it away promptly. It actually should have been the time he got caught. Mm -hmm. But Teresa, they never did an outside audit. And so when Bob seemed like he was like, okay, well, they've got a pretty decent size accounting department. Mm -hmm. They just thought that they should be able to find it internally, right? Because they trusted the person that is in charge so that they could find that. And so. so they never did an outside audit. But I'll tell you, corporations have outside audits all the time. It's one of the things I talk about in dentistry. Why don't we have that? I was just going to say, Susan, because in my classes, when I talk about the need to call you or, you know, you think that they need to call you. And I hear all the time from dentists, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want them to know and I don't want to upset them. And I say, you know what, if you make it a regular thing and you explain to them that every four years, every five years, whatever, I don't, I don't know what your frequency is, that you do an outside audit, that's right there kind of a... It's not meant to catch that one person. They can't take it personally because you're making this, this is part of your being an owner that you bring in an outside auditor. I think it's one of the smartest things you can do as a small business, especially if you're not in the books all of the time because you're doing something else. Well, and what makes it hard in dentistry is that we have two accounting software for our complete accounting package. For sure. And so we've got the practice software and we have the QuickBooks. And so I have to be very careful to say that I am definitely not a CPA and definitely not an auditor. And so I cannot say I do audit. But you are a certified fraud examiner. I am a certified fraud examiner and I do financial practice analyses. So I compare the back to back, I compare what everything's going into the bank. And I look at their systems and procedures to see what they need to tighten up on. Problems that I see that they have that they may or may not have been aware of. And so let me tell you how they got, how Sandy got found out, because I think this is really interesting. They had a new hire. So essentially she was kind of new looking in, right? Mm. And she was in the accounting department and she found a check made out to Capital One, but she knew the bakery didn't have an account with Capital One. And so she's like, hmm. Sandy left for the afternoon and within a few short hours, this is all it took. This is the point. In a few short hours, she found 11 discrepancies that totaled 400000 Amazing. Just a short period of time. I looked her up because I was so impressed, by the way. She used to be a bank teller here at my bank in Arlington. Oh. I was like, yeah, homegirl, you go. Wow. And not only that, she got her accounting degree from UT Arlington right down the street. Nice. And now she's the controller at College Street Bakery. I'd hire her, too. Absolutely. I hope they gave her a bonus, even though they've lost a lot of money. I hope they gave her a bonus for that because holy cow. No kidding. So go on with your story because I want to hear how it all went down too. The other side note that I'd say is what, what was interesting is the next day. So she found it that afternoon. The next day, Scott and Bob 
and some of the executives at Collins Street Bakery confronted him, gave him time to go home, and he grabbed grocery bags to toss watches, jewelry, gold bars, and he drove (laughs) to Austin where he stored the bags in his daughter's safe before flying out to Santa Fe. And he was there for three weeks. So then it was a month later before the FBI removed valuable items and towed the cars. He tried to get rid of some of the things around the Austin area, but they were Mm -hmm. discovered. That's when you read that about the gold bars. Gold bars. Let's talk about these gold bars. No kidding. So you got the furs. You had their their bathroom or their kitchen remodeled. I heard I read Viking this and that. Oh, yeah. Marble this and that and all that kind of stuff. So he was like living a good life. But gold bars is a next level thing. It's a prepper thing, isn't it? Yes. Was he prepping? I don't know. I don't know if our furs, the smart thing to buy when you're prepping. And that's something to think about. I mean, it's warm, but still. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm just saying gold bars is something totally different. First of all, I don't even know where to go to buy a gold bar. I'll be straight up honest. Because only t- only place I know to buy gold is is off of the ads on the news where they tell me to invest in gold coins. I wouldn't even know where to go to buy a gold bar. I wouldn't even know how many to buy because the value is so crazy. And then storing them, what do you do with them? You just walk by them and look at them every day. Like, what do you do with gold bars, Susan? I'm so befuddled. I really kind of, in all of my reading about him, he just didn't seem entirely bright, which is typically the case. They're not, they just have to have an opportunity. They got to figure it out. I mean, I guess he's bright enough to figure it out, but One of the articles I read said, why didn't he just take all the money that he stole and put it into bonds and he could have paid back everything and still had a nice little nest egg for when he got out of jail. He could have really just gotten away anyways with that. The fact that you said 98,000 a month in credit card debt or or spending, that does seem like a bit of a compulsion. Greed. Almost like I just have to have everything that I need. And then you saying he needs a new car every time he needs an oil change. That's that's next level, you know, vice right there. Well, it's greed. It's greed. Mm-hmm. It is um, unadulterated greed. And greed, once people get a taste of greed, it's really hard to turn that off. It's addictive. It's completely yes. addictive behavior. Yes. If anything the COVID-19 has taught us this year is that we don't have to go out and we don't have to spend as much as we have. I know I've cut back completely on a lot of things. I just didn't need as much. I'm not speaking, so I don't need to go buy new clothes, you know, Mm -hmm. and I mean, I'm sitting here in my Christmas tights and in my my jacket. I'm trying to get in the spirit. Since it's so dang cold, I might as well be wearing my Christmas tights. I was telling Norman, I was like, gosh, when was the last time that I bought a pair of shoes? I haven't bought a pair of shoes in forever. I haven't had any of my normal packages from the clothing stores I go to. And in fact, I'm getting rid of a lot of clothes because it seems like all I need right now are some nice tops. (laughs) And not going to and from the airport. I'm I'm saving on gas. And so it's like, okay, you know, greed greed is really it's an interesting thing and and having doing all of these cases i can tell you that all of mine have been greed oriented all of them interesting interesting it's the one prevalent thing that i see that is just it's amazing and and yet in the end what did it get him he was arrested he had to plead guilty to charges of almost 17 million he was sentenced wow. to 120 months 
and his wife received five years pro probation plus 100 hours community service. Yeah, but honestly, Cupcake knew exactly yeah, what was Yeah, she on. got off so light. Yeah. You know, the, the other thing is their marriage dissolved five weeks after Sandy was fired, and ultimately they were divorced. And so, you know, that's another, that's another something that, that took a bite. And ultimately, here's the real thing. Four years after he was sentenced, he died in Fort Worth. Oh, he's dead? Yeah, March 2019. I wonder if they were on their way to divorce anyways, but once they started making money, she's like, I'm not getting off this gravy train. Yeah, well. Who knows, right? But yeah, she got off super, super easy for that, especially the lifestyle she she had. So there was probably ordering of restitution and... Yeah, the estate sale, uh, everything that was sold, you know, they recovered so much and then everything that they sold in the estate sale went to the bakery. And mm -hmm. so they're never going to recover what they lost, but at least they got back some. Yeah, it was interesting. So in, in another article uh, by Barry Slater of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, Hayden Crawford was the marketing chief at the time, and he said, Sandy was a good friend, a trusted associate. We were operating a 117-year-old business, much like it had always been run. See, I caught that part, too. It mm -hmm. goes without saying, we've learned our lesson and have made the necessary changes to safeguard us from this kind of thing in the future. But when this was going down, our suspicions fell on everything except our own people. We are obviously far better at making quality fruitcake than spotting a thief. And I understand that comment. I hope they don't feel too down on themselves about this, but when you surround yourself with people you trust, it's natural to not look at them oh, yeah. with a raised eyebrow. But at the same time, this is not how normal corporate business, a, a well-run corporate business operates. You do need to take a look at everything. That's why you have audits and checks and checks balances. Checks and balances. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go back a little bit because you were saying there's the greed, but there's a, there's a evolution, right? There's an evolution from testing. It's always an evolve. So my $1.1 million case evolved from cash, actually evolved from padding her payroll to cash to insurance checks. Mm. But with every time that there's a change in how it's being stolen, they'll wait. And so, and if they don't wait very long, then that always tells me that they've probably stolen before. Mm -hmm. And I've had that in my cases where they've not waited very long. They stole pretty quickly after they started working, which is always a big heads up. But, you know, it's just interesting and, and disheartening. Of course. When you say that they started right away, do you think it's because... They're confident in their abilities or they know they have a limited amount of time and they need to get in and get out. I think they're confident in their abilities. Okay. I think, I think they stole from a prior practice and they didn't get caught there or they mm -hmm. got caught and they were not prosecuted, which happens a lot. That actually surprised me a lot. You know, I've always been interested in fraud and embezzlement. Norman is also a CFE, a certified fraud examiner. That's why you two get along. Yeah. So, you know, we talk about this a lot. And of course, in my consulting, I've come across it. And I have always been amazed at the amount of people who do not prosecute, don't want to prosecute. And I would always be like, I can't believe it. And then you start hearing, well, I didn't want to get turned in for this. And I was doing something. Oh, and, yeah, you know, they weren't exactly on the up and up. And so they didn't. 
I don't want to turn her in because maybe they were doing insurance fraud or maybe they weren't doing really well with their or they weren't depositing all of the cash and so yes so there's lots of reasons or you know as in some of my cases the dentist was actually having an affair with the embezzler so that makes it kind of difficult we're having an affair with somebody in there and the embezzler knows oh yeah you know don't want to call wife or husband to let them know about that so i know you know about the ada just did a embezzlement survey a couple of years ago that mm -hmm. i helped them with and one of the things that came back is that there was a such a high percentage of practices that have embezzled four times or more i think it was 17 percent it's just incredible to me. And it, the other thing that really caught my eye on that was, especially in something like this, uh, just looking at Sandy and, and his whole how he did it, that they internally did their own embezzlement case, that they decided not to hire outside help to find all of what had been so that when they report X number of dollars as being stolen, I don't really think they have a clue because we know um, the rocks to look under to find mm -hmm. all of what's been stolen. And some that you, that has been seen by them may not actually be it. But it's interesting why they want to do it themselves. I know it's because they want to save money. Mm -hmm. But then they'll get an office manager, the new office manager, to help them. Which is like showing the, you know, here's the map. Here's the map to everything. Here's how you do it. Just don't do it that way. That way's already been done. Don't do it again. <laughs> Find another way. I still want to talk a little bit, though, about the fact that this Sandy person was a long-term employee, yeah. friend of the families, very well-trusted, upstanding member of the community, had an excuse for everything. Do you think he took a lot of vacations? It sounds like he went places because typically we find things when, when the person is not in the office. I mean, do, do you think just... If, if this new girl had not been hired, do you think it would have just kept going? Maybe, but she was, maybe, he was over all accounts payable. And so I think she was doing some things for that day and, and saw the register. And that's what caught her eye. They might have, but they were also growing. So it was during a time that they were growing. But, you know, it's just the thing that always is intriguing to me is that they never think they're going to get caught. Yeah. They're they're doing it, they become so brazen in how they're doing it. Then when they get caught, it's everybody else's fault. <laughs> yes. You know, it's like, are you kidding? I actually had one case where they tried to blame the dentist. And you know, and, and if you knew the dentist, it would just totally make you crack up because he was the nicest guy quiet, gentle, tender-hearted, and you wanted to go, really? Think this through. I had to lecture the prosecuting attorney, the district attorney, just to get them to see straight because they started believing the accused, the subject's lies. Uh, yeah, it was interesting. That was uh, three times it took to be with her to set her straight. She was, she was a little different. Dealing with some of these district attorneys has always been really interesting. Do they see it as sort of a victimless crime? Are they excited to get a case like this? What do they What do they think? Well, it depends. I tell you, the, the excitement level on them depends on how much they understand. And mm -hmm. so I try to write the reports in such a way that the district attorney can pick it up and understand 
exactly how a dental practice works. I start from the very beginning in my reports and detail out how this works, how it's operational. And I work with the district attorneys to try to help them understand if there's some problems. I, you know, I keep in contact with them. I try to help the den, uh, the dentists themselves write their victim statement. Most of them plea out because the evidence is so airtight mm-hmm. in their prosecution. So most of them plea out. And I actually worked on a case where they thought it was embezzlement and it was $1,800 of embezzlement, but it was more of a drug ring, which is also really high in my cases. Drugs are involved. Even with electronic prescribing? Yes. It's so important that the dentists go on their prescription monitoring programs mm-hmm. and uh, online for their state and check to make sure that everybody that's getting drugs are truly patients of record. It is so important. But this one was a really big drug ring. The hygienist, uh, the front office manager, the front office manager's husband, their adult son, and the second person at the front desk. And they were getting the scripts and getting them filled and then selling them on the black market. Unbelievable. The um, sheriff's department was so appreciative. And I walked them through and talked to them about how the dentist practice works and everything. It was really an interesting case that they gave me a battle coin. They had battle coins. And I keep that on my desk sometimes because when I get frustrated or want to bang my head against the wall for some reason, um, I'll pick that battle coin up and remember why I do this. That's pretty cool. Is it like a like an award type thing? Yeah. Very it cool. was their way of thanking me for helping them to figure things out. So There's no doubt that you do a valuable uh, service. I mean, every time you tell me a new story, I'm always like, just glued <laughs> listening to it. I want to go back a little bit. And I, of course, the time has, has gone by so quickly. I know. I want to go back a little bit to the mindset of this person, because at first it seemed like they were timid, trying it, then they were watchful, then the, you know, the entitlement around that time too. I mean, where, how does it evolve from there to just being brazen? Can you go over a little bit of what that journey looks like in the person's head? Yeah, well, it starts off with the greed. You know, they want a little bit more. He had already set himself up to wanting things and mm-hmm. wanting a different life for himself. But then it went from that to wanting a different life for himself to feeling like he should make as much money as Bob McNutt, who owned the company. And so that's where it got bolder. You know, what's interesting is the similarities between this case, the homeless director I told you about, the insurance agent, and I'd just like to even say Bernie Madoff, which we all know, because there's a gazillion different schemes to steal from a dental practice. And just when I think I've seen it all, there's something newer, bolder, and more incredible. This year, I've had a couple of different new ones that have just kind of gone, okay. So let me just kind of quickly, because I know we're getting out of time, talk about the similarities, because that's what needs to be focused on. And I will say, too, that I will put a link in the show notes for Bernie, because I think we have a lot of new people to business and, and they may not know about Bernie. So, and honestly, you'd be surprised how many people are much younger than we think they are. And you know what I mean? It's depressing when I think about it. Well, go ahead. I, I'll put it in the show yeah, notes. Yeah, <laughs> you need to put Harry's book in there, Harry Macropolis's book. Yes, I will do that. Okay. It is a really awesome book. Anyways, so here are the similarities. 
The first thing is embezzlement starts with trust. Just as Bernie Madoff's clients trusted him to do right by his money, you know, as you trust in the dental practice uh, for whoever is overseeing the money or inputting the insurance trust uh, checks that they're going to do the right thing. So the second similarity is that they steal and then they wait, then they steal more and then they wait and then it evolves. And so it never goes backwards. The most that they steal will always be at the end. Mm -hmm. The least that they steal is always at the beginning. And so the more bold that they feel, the more that that the what they take widens. The third thing is they're in control of what they see, what they have. They're in control of whatever is the means for their embezzlement, and they will protect their additional revenue stream. And so if they're revolting against hiring help at the front, if they're revolting having a, a CPA review things, if they're mm-hmm. revolting about hiring a consultant to come help with the practice, they are protecting their revenue stream. I heard one recently, Susan, that uh, the, and the doctor actually just put a, he kind of put a stop to it. The insurance coordinator was fighting him so much on converting from paper checks to EFTs. And he could not understand why she was so vehement about it. And that's how he found that there were, there were things missing. And he just, I, he just fired her. Yeah. Uh, that was another tip off. Yeah. So the fourth thing, and I'll tell you, is where and when they get caught depends on the protocols that are set up or not set up in the practice or the business. And so if there are no protocols, then it's likely to go on for years. If there are protocols, they can catch it fairly quickly. I had a call from a very old client of mine uh, many years ago who called me and said I had to be out of the practice for a couple of months due to surgery. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. And she goes, no, no, no. I was calling to thank you because you helped me set up my protocols. And when I got back, I found out somebody had stolen. Oh, wow. Had taken that, which they do. They'll take the opportunity when you're getting married, getting divorced, having a baby, moving, having surgery, all of your life change things that happen to you is great opportunity ground for them. Wow. It's interesting. So, and then eventually they do get caught. Here's the other thing. And the fallout's not good for them personally. There's divorces. The kids lose respect. They don't have any standing in the community. Their friends fall away because they're amazed and surprised and disappointed in what they've done. So it doesn't work out so good for them personally. So that's fifth. The sixth is, (laughs) oh my gosh. Visual clues are available for those that want to see them. That's the key, though. Want to see them. If you don't want to see them, then you won't see them. Let's get into this. I mean, Sandy had luxurious items and vacations. So my 1.1 million said she won the lottery. Not once, (laughs) not twice, but three times. Hot dang. What a lucky woman. No kidding. And she had luxurious items. She loved jewelry, is what they told me. But there were a lot of other things, paid for both of the kids' apartments, paid for the schools. You know, meanwhile, the doctor's kids have ratty cars, and, you know, he's he's struggling to pay for their schools. You know, there needs to be visual cl- clues. You need to see what's going on, and you need to think. 
just don't assume, but think. I mean, what they said was that they had this cousin and that they had some inheritance. And they did have some inheritance, but it certainly wasn't this much. Not gold bar inheritance. No, no. Holy cow. So the seventh thing is lying. Lying is common. Lying is so common. They don't tell you the truth. Well, of course not. You trust them. It's But I'm always amazed. But I asked her and she said she didn't. Really? She's not going to tell you the truth. Because they're inherently good people. And you want to believe that that's what you're dealing with. I right? Know. Yeah. I know. So Sandy told his wife, Kay, that the new Lexus he brought home on that first check he stole was a gift. From who? One of the executives at the business. Goodness. Yeah. Goodness. Lying is really common. The other eight would be that regular outside audits. Again, you and I talked about that. Would have discovered them sooner. And it would have kept the businesses, even if they had a setup, regular outside audit, and he knew it, he might not have done it. So you're saying when somebody sees that there are systems in place for this, it's a deterrent. Yeah. Okay. There's no silver bullet. I mean, you and I both know that nothing's going to prevent somebody who's got that taste in their mouth for greed and wants something that they're going to do it. They're going to figure out a way to do it. But he would have had to be a whole lot smarter in what he did. Because what he did was actually pretty easy to find out. Well, obviously, if it was just a couple hours. Yeah. Kudos to her. So she deserved that promotion. I had a case one time that the office manager forged checks. And it just so happened the CPA was her brother-in-law. Oh, God. Yeah. And all of the bank statements went to the CPA's office. And so I had to physically go to the office. And they were very resistant. Hostile. Hostile is a good word. They were very hostile for me to be there. They even tried to do, I don't know if you knew this, but when you're being audited by somebody from the IRS, it's really typical that the CPA, or let's don't put it on the CPA, the business tries to freeze them out or burn them out by turning on the heater or turning on the, the air conditioner. Oh, I've heard that. Yeah, they tried to freeze me out because it was, it was in uh, the winter time when I was there and it was so cold. I kept going. I kind of went back upstairs and said, stop it. You guys, <laughs> try to act mature. I know. And, I mean, I just, I was amazed. It's like, do, do you not think I know this? I'm not really that stupid. Well, at least they didn't burn the building down. I know that some, some embezzlers have burned down oh, yeah, to avoid no being caught. In dental offices too, not just saying, for those of you that are listening that are like, oh, that's crazy. Dental offices, yeah. this has happened. Yeah, it has. I want to ask you, and this will be the final question because I, I know that we're, <laughs> we could do this for hours. You and I have talked about this already. With COVID shutting down, the practice is shutting down. I know I've had calls where, okay, there's something weird with my insurance. And, you know, when they call me, it's typically, you know, bad practices, checks, you know, outstanding claims, all that kind of stuff. But every now and then I find something that's, that I say, you know, you need to, you need to call Susan. There's, there's something going on here. And, and I think because now with COVID-19, the office is being closed, there's now time to look. And there's now time for dentists to address the, you know, this has always hit me funny, but I never had time to look. Has this happened to you with, with people calling? I've been so busy this year. I have been really busy. And part of that is... Uh, the first part of the year, when they were filling out the PPP and the idle loans, they actually had to look at their finances. 
And so a lot of them had no clue how to look at their finances and were going, okay, so can you help me figure out my QuickBooks so that I can make sense out of it and yeah, know going yeah. forward? And so that was a lot of fun because I love doing that. I know. You are the QuickBooks queen. People, you should know she's written like all the books. 40 something. You know, I have two more on my plate right now. But anyways, but then a lot of the phone calls then after that initial couple of months, it was, you know, I've been looking at my finances and something's not right. Mm -hmm. I've been the busiest I've been in years this year, even with the shutdown. And it's because mm -hmm. they were shut down and they had an opportunity to look at their books. So yeah. I would just really like to encourage people to keep looking at their books. What they were doing this year, you know, if their numbers seem a little off, you know, like Bernie Madoff's was too good to be true. You know, that's the one thing that came, it's, the numbers didn't match. He was, his was too good to be true. And, and another, the expenses were unexplainably high. And that was the Collins Street Bakery. The expenses mm -hmm. were just so high, they couldn't figure things out. Or in, in our dental practices, the income is unexplainably low. We're producing a lot, but right. we don't seem to be depositing. So in order to know what the numbers are off, they actually need to review the reports with somebody who could teach them how mm -hmm. to review the reports. Yes. I have that two-hour Ask the Expert where I remote into the practice with the dentist and I look at things through my eyes and I show them what I'm looking at. They have a pad of paper. They're taking notes. And I say, here's what you need to do. Here, look at this. Look at that. Go here. Go there. And if we find embezzlement, the cost of that ask the expert goes towards the embezzlement case. Uh, so the, the extra work that you have to do. A lot of the work that I do up front uh, mm -hmm. is still what I would do up front for an embezzlement case. And so it's still the same. But they just need to, to know what they're reviewing and to realize this happens. I mean, we have to learn from others like Sandy's. And by the way, I just need to say I'm going to plug. Collins Street Bakery right now because it is the holidays yes. and they are amazing and they added a pecan cake that is to die for oh my goodness. oh yeah don't let Norman hear that but he loves they've some got good pecan pie cherry icebox cookies that are oh my gosh curses on I mean there are good things about being gluten-free by the way <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been able to eat any of those in eight years, but hey, when I did, they were really, really, really good. So have they not come up with a gluten-free menu by I now? I don't think so. It's it would be really hard to do that stuff. You know, if they had sixteen million in assets, I bet they could have put some. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Isn't that the truth? But anyways, <laughs> we have to learn from others, and that was the point of me wanting to talk about this case today because we have to look outside to know that, hey, this can happen because it has happened in our industry too. Yeah, I never say never. I, I just have learned over the years. I mean, with insurance, people say, you know, is this new? And I, I normally would say, oh, they would never do that. I never say never when it comes to, can this happen to me? Never say never. Yeah. Every story I hear from you over the years, how many years have we known each other? Like yeah, a bazillion years. Every story is more interesting than the last. I appreciate you bringing this 
to us. I don't like that you made me hungry, but I do appreciate <laughs> that you that you brought this to us. And I, I want you to bring more cases to us because this kind of deep dive is just super, super fun. Thank yeah, you. we could do that. It is kind of fun. I really had a, a fun time looking at everything again about this case. And it's like, oh, yeah, wow. Forgot that. Forgot that. It was it was good. It's a good learning opportunity for everybody. So I, I am very, very grateful. How do they reach you, Susan? How do they find you? Well, 888-994-3167. That's my phone. Or Susan at Susan Gunn, G-U-N-N, Solutions, more than one solution.com. And the, the website, SusanGunnSolutions.com. So the podcast is Money In, Money Out, and it's tied to the book of the same yeah, name, Money In, which Money you can Out. get on Amazon. I highly recommend that book. That is one of the books that's up there. Uh, Kathy Jamison's Collect What You Produce and your book are the two financial books that I say you, you need to have uh, in your arsenal as an office manager. Yeah, I decided I didn't want to write a book on embezzlement a few years ago. What I wanted to write was a book instead that talked about the systems and procedures that needed to be in the practice. And so know that when you get the book and you're reading the book, that I'm hoping that will help protect your practice. And I think it will. I mean, if you go through it and implement it, I think it definitely will. Oh, yeah. And the foreword uh, of your book was written by just an, <laughs> a phenomenal person. Somebody that just drove me stinking crazy and actually called me up and said, I'm going to write the foreword to your book. I mean, it wasn't even a question. It was a demand. How do you put out a book without a foreword from a friend? I just don't understand. Oh, yeah. So I was happy to volunteer my services uh, for that. So that's kind of a running joke between Susan and I that I strong armed my way into her book. <laughs> that's all right. You earned your way into my book. <laughs> she has to put up with me all these years. No, it's it's a it's a labor of love. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> no, I just... So I'm gonna I'm going to link the podcast, the book, Bernie Madoff, this bakery article, and I the ADA. Oh, could you send me that too? Could you send me the link to the ADA's uh, well, study? Well, if they're a dentist, you have to go onto the ADA site to get it. It's a members only thing. Okay, so you'll have to log in. And if you don't have a, a login, you'll just have to stare at it wistfully. And All right. So, Susan, again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's always, it's always fun to host you on the podcast. Well, and it was fun today. I really did enjoy this. Excellent, excellent. And dear listeners, I'm always so super grateful that you take the time and spend your one and maybe one and five minute time with me. Thank you. We're all super busy, so thank you for making time for me today. The show notes will have any links that we referenced in this episode. You can also find links for my book and for my live events and webinar schedule. I speak often around the country on management and insurance issues. Come hang out with me in one of my classes. I promise you'll laugh and learn.